When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. Norim's Echoes was on Friday, handed out various awards. We'll talk about that. Some roster moves that uh, some may be less surprising, but Drew Tranquil's return, definitely so, at least from my perspective. we got some scheduling news to address with the Shamrock Series and the 2019 and 2020 schedules coming out officially. Uh, some hoop stuff following a really up-and-down week. Um <laughs> The loss to Ball State, but then a win over Delaware. And then a little bit of recruiting stuff, too, with uh, early signing day now, but less than two weeks away. So let's start with the roster news of the team we actually cover now. Uh, Drew Tranquil's return, I was at the Echoes on Friday. I was going to ask him about it anyway after, but I didn't expect to get an answer. And then he just volunteered it when he got um, his award. And he said, <laughs> he said, I was going to say it as long as I got an award, basically. Um, so it's a good thing he got one. Yeah, it's um, a good thing. As I think he was student uh, scholar athlete of the year. He's graduating in December in mechanical engineering. I did ask him about, so fifth year, like what classes? He's like, kind of burnt out on that. Yeah, yeah school good stuff. for him. I want to take a break. I, I said ballroom really dancing, and he's like, yeah, more like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, I think we're all shocked to hear it. And, I mean, it's a huge gift for Notre Dame. You're already losing Niles Morgan at one linebacker spot, and to lose Tranquil, uh, who arguably was the best player on defense this year. He certainly could make an argument for that, um, although Tavon Coney came on pretty strong, as we were talking about before we started recording, but it's huge for Notre Dame. Um, plenty of There will likely be pr- plenty of Rover candidates. You know, I had the idea floated by me today that could Drew, Drew Tranquil play buck linebacker? Kind of interesting. I mean, you, I think, O'Malley, you do sort of an indispensables list. Mm-hmm. I think Drew Tranquil ended up probably third or tied for second in that. I mean, Tillery would be number one for me, but then Love and Tranquil I thought were the best players and the most unique players for their positions throughout the season. And they gained the obvious captain. The question Now we know people don't wonder who's going to be a captain because it's Drew Tranquil plus whoever comes along. Drew Tranquil is the off-season leader. Now he's the one everybody looks up to. Mm-hmm. That's actually a problem we hadn't talked about too much until the last podcast that is eradicated. Drew Tranquil is your leader. Some other guys will come along. You know, obviously, if Josh Adams comes back, he's another one. The Buck linebacker thing is interesting because he's really good at Rover, Rover to the point right. where, remember at the beginning of the season before we, we thought he would be? And someone told Pete he could be an All-American. Yeah, position. no, I get that. I get that. But who plays Buck linebacker? Yeah, that's, you wonder that's if they I'm... move Bilal because he's certainly not going to make inroads on Tranquil. 
Um, is buck linebacker easier to learn than rover? Probably. It seems They're like probably. Yeah, I would, uh, I would think. I guess, but, yeah. And then you have maybe a backup in Jonathan Jones and a backup yeah. in Jameer Jones. I was just throwing it out there because I thought it was kind of an yeah, interesting idea. Yeah, it is. It is because they have a lot of candidates for rover. They yeah they they're, they're, played, they're really. going yeah they haven't played but we're gonna we're One of the best we, players as we all right we're uh, <laughs> Koromoa and well Bilal w- yeah. would be a candidate for that but but Shane Simon we try to move every big again Marquise we yeah. had there well, again Marquise's name will come up again as we we discuss this but uh, and Nick Wisher coming back for a fifth year not a huge shock but that was a guy that could have. You know, maybe transferred elsewhere and uh, get his degree and transfer elsewhere and play on a full time basis. But I think he's got a really good chance of being the starter and play on a full time basis for Notre Dame in 2018. Well, it was a surprise to me because I had heard that he wasn't going to come back. And he said that it was a pretty clear cut decision to return. You know, he admitted that last season wasn't great all the time because there were games where he barely played. Uh, but at the end of the <clears> year, he was well ahead of Alize Mack at Stanford in terms of what they wanted out of that position. Mack got one snap, and I think Wisher was in the 30s or mm-hmm. 40s, um, which I believe was a season high for him. So, you know, they they could have six scholarship tight ends next year, depending on how recruiting finishes up. Um, I think it's a position, whether it be special teams or just the fact that it's a car crash position, we're getting slammed over the middle. Um, some really physical, explosive uh, hits that that spot takes. I think that's a, a good thing to have. So now you're sort of left with Josh Adams. I still would be shocked if he returned. I, same way um, with him, yeah. Tavon Coney, I asked him about coming back or not. He said he asked for uh, an evaluation for the NFL Advisory Committee for underclassmen. I think that he'll return, um, but... Guys make weird decisions that we can't understand all the well, time. Well, the iron's hot right now, and he had a he had a dominant November. And he'll yeah, he had eighteen stuffs in November. And to put that in perspective, that's more than all but three players had for the season. Which is a tr- considering what happened to right. the team in November, that's just a heck of an effort. If he built off his junior year the way that he built off his sophomore year, he will be Notre Dame's best defensive player next year. Yeah, and his third, he might have been he might have been this year if, if he, he played all twelve. Just to put it in perspective, it was you said thirteen tackles for loss. Mante Teo in his best year had thirteen point five tackles for loss. Uh, it's quite an effort by Coney from a guy that we were told in the spring was a non-factor, and then it just took. Well, off. he knew. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he just took off. He was also told yeah. he was a non-factor in the spring, and he talked about that a little bit on Friday night when I interviewed him. It's just like it's it a little bit difficult to sort of get your head around that. Wow, I, I went from where I was in March to where I am here in December. That's I think it's a little bit, whoa, like I, I might be good enough to actually consider going pro, uh, but if you can get, and Trank will talk about this, if you can get Coney and Tillery back, you're looking at a defense that, uh, in a technical standpoint, could return basically nine and a half starters. And you're looking at a defense that will be better than it was, too. They will be deeper and I think better. I they'll be more were. consistent against the run. Yeah, you can make, which just... I feel like that makes you more consistent against the pass. Oh, no doubt, you know, well, no doubt about it. No doubt if you're more consistent against the run, you're better in the trenches. Yeah, Tillery should be that much better than Okura. he was this year. You know, I talked to, um, did an interview with Greg Gabriel, uh, our our draft expert for the third straight year, I think it is, and he loved Coney, absolutely loved Coney. In fact, when I was talking to him about draft prospects and Greer Martini, he said, well, Martini's <clears> a pretty decent player, but he 
he got beat, beaten out by a fantastic player. Uh, he loves Coney because he's he's instinctual, whereas in talking about Niles Morgan, he says he's reactive. In other words, it has to happen. Then he reacts to it, and Coney, Coney's instinctive and makes the play. And he, he said he knows where the ball is before the ball knows where it is. I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, the problem for with Coney, and I, I do think he'll come back, except I also think he's set up to have a great bowl game, considering the opponent's style of play. Yeah, and that can help a guy make a rash decision if he's given. That's possible too. You no, know, that's that's you go out and you're MVP of the Citrus Bowl. What after do you think? November. That's pretty impressive. What do you think Tiller is going to do, Pete? I think he'll come back. Yeah, um, I do too. I don't unless he's graduating in December, which I'm. I don't really have a handle on. That would be very. That would be quick graduation. Obviously, early enrollee, junior, but yeah. he was an early enrollee and is pretty bright guy. So. Um, I think if he's graduating in December, maybe he would he would go. But uh, I don't I don't know that to be the case. I also think that he had a good plus year this year, and I think that he could have a great year next year. You know, is that and he has he has some measurables about him. Like where I look at Tavon Cody, I think well, there are a ton of Tavon Cody's running around. Not all of them are in the NFL. There aren't a lot of Jerry Tillery's running around because he's just got some really plus size and plus athleticism that just not a lot of prospects have. So I, I think in some ways that Tillery's a a more intriguing pro prospect than Coney is just because of how he's built. He should only have, quick math, 96 credits unless he went crazy to try and graduate ahead of time. Because that'd be I, I, I could see him easily graduating after the spring yeah. mm-hmm. if, he, if he went the a little issue, ahead, but that would be really fast. For the him. issue with him is, like Jerron Jones, they're gonna look, he's going to be an offensive tackle prospect moving on to the next level. I think he'd be open to playing professional football in how they ask him to as opposed to Jerron Jones, who vehemently stood up in October before leaving yeah. and said, I will never play offensive line, and then was promptly yeah. moved to offensive line. But uh, also, Alizé Mack, unless he's being cryptic, said he will come back in 2018 via Twitter. Yeah, he was actually quoting a Drake lyric. Yes, but it's then he went on for twenty responses yeah. to talk about how he would be and, back. And you knew that, or did somebody? Oh, I, I had to look. You it did. Up. Okay. I, okay. I, I did. I, I googled the tweet. Okay. Um, because I am not that hip. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to the uh, the something that is hip. The, the shamrocks. Here. The surprising news. <laughs> the surprising news last week that Notre Dame's last scheduled home game of. Uh, 2018 against Syracuse is going to be played in Yankee Stadium. They didn't announce a kickoff time, but it will undoubtedly no, be. No, or did they did? It's okay, day. it's day. It's day. Oh, I believe, well, it's, a, I believe it's a 2:30. Okay, well that's some good news there. But the interesting <laughs> thing is that uh, well, there's a couple of interesting things. One, that means Senior Day will be against Florida State, as if there wouldn't be enough emotions for that game. They'll have Senior Day on that day. Um. I have not heard one person that's been excited about the fact that they're um, leaving Notre Dame Stadium for the last home game and going to Yankee Stadium. I know Brian Kelly isn't happy about it. Can't imagine that the players are happy about it. Local fans probably feel slighted. Um, But Notre Dame probably can't sell that game out because they barely sold out this year's final home game. And a bigger market, they have a better chance of doing that in Yankee Stadium. I I don't care about the sellout aspect of it at all. Um, what? I, what do you I, mean? You don't care, or Notre Dame doesn't care. Uh, doesn't care. I don't think Notre Dame cares if they're being honest about it. 
you know, Swarbrick is on record that the whole sellout streak is just like whatever. You know, it's going to end at some point. It's not that big a deal when it does. You know, uh, it, mean, it may end in September. Yeah. Uh, which is so nice itself. The end of that time, people tend to go. Yeah. In September. That's why November is always the problem for the sellout streak. But here are the dynamics of this game moving. You have one home game in October. You have one home game in November. Six of your final nine games are away from Notre Dame Stadium. In your last five games, you have a trip to San Diego. Yes, that's good. For the media. <laughs> okay. Uh, then you... Remember, I'm going on Wednesday. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Because there's a right. week before. It's all good things so yeah. far. So you have Navy in San Diego. Then you have Florida State at home. No, you have Northwestern no, North- in Chicago. Oh, I'm sorry. Northwestern in Evanston. Then you're home to Florida State. Then you fly to New York to play Syracuse. Then you come home for a short week. And then you fly to Los Angeles, your second trip to California, uh, to close the season at USC. I don't know any program that's serious about making the college football playoff that would schedule like that. I think this, I think this move is a complete unforced error and makes no strategic sense if Notre Dame is serious about trying to make the playoffs. As everyone knows, their 8-0 in Shamrock Series games kind of irrelevant because of who they played. But uh, in games immediately following the Shamrock Series, they're 3-3. Three three. There were two bye weeks. In 13-14, but the important thing is, Shamrock Series games played late season, so Halloween or after. Notre Dame, thereafter, a Shamrock Series game played late in the season is 2-8 and eight through the end of the regular season. For traveling, wow. bouncing around, doing all the things they do. Because it's an unnecessary trip somewhere. Like when you go to Indianapolis and play in September, it doesn't in any way hurt your season. That in no way I impacted say, Notre I Dame say, playing just, Purdue. You, just fire him. Just fire Brian Kelly. I mean, if you if you if you want if you want to get rid of him this badly, just fire him. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely it's pitch. absolutely ridiculous. I don't have an issue with them doing the Shamrock Series or doing Syracuse or even doing it in Yankee Stadium. It's the accumulation yeah. of Navy and San Diego, USC, the Northwestern game, Florida State at home. If this, if you had, if the release was, you know what, we're doing the Shamrock series and we're taking the Vanderbilt game yeah, and we're moving great. it to Denver, Colorado, I would be like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but sure, because it's in September, it it breaks well with other things. You're at a stretch where you would have had four or five at home to open the season. It's the week after, I think, Ball State. Just do that. Um, to take Syracuse at the end when it's sandwiched around all this other stuff just doesn't make any sense. Well, it's certainly, I mean, you're certainly making a statement that you don't give a damn about the players or what they have to go through by the end of the season, right? Oh, yeah. It just is, it's nonsensical from a football standpoint in every capacity. So the, the answer, do we agree or disagree? I think we're, do we all come down to the side to disagree on that one? I haven't one? heard, have you, do you know of anyone that agrees with it? No, no. And it's been, it's one of those. Under Armour? It's one of those announcements. Yeah, well, yeah, Under Armour agrees. I guess uh, that comes out, and there isn't even like a wiggle room about like, oh no, I could I could see where they're coming from on this because I really wanted to run that five k. No, nobody. I have not heard one reaction to this that has been even sort of like middling of like, yeah, okay. It's all, what are you doing? Um, and that that is rare and. <laughs> I think in some ways, when I think Matt Fortuna reported this first over at the Athletic, if there had been a week gap between when the story came out and when Notre Dame announced it, 
There could have been a groundswell of like Tennessee Shiano proportions <laughs> of like Notre Dame's like, oh god, we should have floated a trial balloon about this because this, this is not going over very well. It was such a bad decision that even though I knew Syracuse was a home game, I briefly forgot when I heard about it that it was a home game because it seemed so nonsensical. I thought, oh, so that was a road game that they got Syracuse no, to play, yeah. and then I realized, no, no, wait, that's not what it is. It's incredible that they moved senior day. As he pointed out, the setup of the season just makes it impossible. A, a November, a September game. Yeah, like if, I know you can't sell Ball State if, if Yankee we, Stadium. If but. we flipped, let's say Vander, let's just say Vanderbilt, everything was the same. You just move that to Yankee Stadium. I think the reaction would be like, okay, the Yankees would be mad because they're playing. Yeah, that would be a problem, <laughs> obviously. But but somewhere else, you're yeah. right, anywhere else. I think people would have a really little issue with that and be like, oh god, that's really not that interesting. It would be maybe an apathetic reaction opposed to, what are you doing? So that's where we are with that. Um, let's let's bounce to recruiting. Notre Dame lost another. Had we talked about Marquis Step last week? I don't think so. Not, on, not so. on our podcast. They lost running back Marquis Step. There's some issues there, probably academic related. Um, you know, I, I hate the way some of these are reported. It's like Notre Dame lost a commitment and it's a, the tale is told incompletely. Uh, I'm not sure I know all of the Jordan Porter um, story is the wide receiver that decommitted from Notre Dame. That was a surprise to Notre Dame. I checked with some people on Sunday about that, and they were like, huh, okay, didn't see that coming. Also, not that worked up about it. Well, remember last week we were talking about we don't like it when, when Notre Dame loses a recruit, and then right away there are people say, oh, he wasn't that good anyway. Yeah. It's like, but we would probably a, say that. It, I mean, this is not a significant loss no, in the class, um, especially when it happens as Braden Lindsay is visiting. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's really and Jordan Porter and his family are very attuned to recruiting. So the fact that Notre Dame got back in on the guy that it lost, which triggered the offer to Porter, which triggered the commitment to Porter, and now they're going back to Lindsay. Because it's available following the disaster in Oregon, um, that's not lost on the on yeah. Porter. Yeah. Um, also, you have a new staff at Oregon, new staff at UCLA, new staff at Arizona State. Um, certainly, wouldn't surprise me at all if Jordan Porter ends up at UCLA. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a need for some new blood there with Chip Kelly. So, if they get Lindsey, then this is a They've just upgraded at the position. Yeah. They got the guy they wanted all along. And on top of that, Lawrence Keyes is still in play. That's another guy they like more than Porter. So, you know, if when Braden Lindsay decommitted, that was a big, big deal. That was a tough loss for them. Jordan Porter doesn't fall into that same category. Right. Now, late last week, I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday, we thought Noah Boykin was going to commit to Notre Dame. I hurried up and wrote a film review. Jack, you still have that film review? I'm saving it. Okay, well, that's good because we're, we're not going to need it. Uh, <laughs> it appears, but in, but in place, uh, Tariq Bracey, who um, I really like. I think he's very underrated. He was listed as the 404th prospect in the country. I think he's been bumped up by 24-7 since then. You know, is he physically ready to walk in and play? Probably not. He's going to need time with Matt Bayless, and and he's going to need to grow a little bit. But I think this is a guy with a ton of football instincts, whether it's a wide receiver, whether it's lighting up a receiver and taking jet sweeps, or a cornerback where Notre Dame projects him. I just think he's a he's a natural-born football player. He's kind of a short stepper. Usually when you see a guy that... 
doesn't have that long, beautiful stride. He's not very fast. This guy is fast. I like him. I think he's one of the most under-the-radar best grabs that Notre Dame has in this class. With football acumen and football IQ in that situation, I tend to lean towards corner, even without the need at corner, which they have. So that's just something I like. It's hard to teach that. Yeah. At corner. Obviously, Julian Love has it. Sean Crawford has yes. it. And it's just a compliment. It's a great thing to and have. When I was there. talking about MVPs on defense, I should have mentioned Julian Love as well with, with Drew Tranquil. But uh, Tariq Bracey, I think, is a football player. I'm excited to see him get in Notre Dame's program and see where he develops physically because he's got a bunch of, of, of tools in the toolbox. Yeah, and I mean, he's a guy that Notre Dame has liked for a very long time. Uh, somebody that Brian Pullian identified in the spring valuation period. I think they offered over the summer. Um, uh, or maybe May. They, it was in May. Okay. Yeah. They sort of churned up the... Yeah, because there's... I think around Irish Invasion, there was talk of, like, is he going to visit, is he not? Um, but and at that point, who did he have offers from? I mean, his offer list isn't real impressive right now. No, I think it was about the same as it was then. Um, USC was sort of the danger school there because USC sort of kicked the tires on him and passed. Um, if USC had offered, he'd be going to USC, uh, and he was pretty upfront about that. Yeah. So the fact that um, USC decided to pass, that's, that's Notre Dame's gain. And between him and Joe Wilkins, they really needed – Help with the cornerback position. We'll see how they close up from here. They're, they're certainly in on some top prospects uh, during the final two weeks of uh, the early signing period. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna save basketball. We'll we have talk, a couple we'll, basketball. Yeah, questions. we got some questions, so we'll yeah. talk about in the next segment when we burn up the boards. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. We're actually going to circle back to the Echoes of War with this first question because it could be relevant or maybe not for the upcoming season from ND Irish 88 Given that Dylan Gibbons won the Offensive Scout Team Player of the Year Award, who are some past winners and what does that mean for his future? Should we taper our expectations? Well, Aloe Gilman won Defensive Scout Team Player of the Year, and I, I think that is indicative of something um i want to write about him today and because he said that i think he said elko threw him off the scout team a bunch of times because he was just such a pain in the butt um to deal with like in a good way you're saying yeah that's a positive (laughs) um you know for dylan gibbons i i don't think so i mean he uh, when i when i talk to people around the program about the four offensive linemen who are in the freshman class obviously hamesy comes up because he plays um I've heard the the word superstar used with Josh Lug. Aaron Banks, I haven't heard a ton about, but he was somebody, at least in spring ball, I think that the coaching staff was like, oh, okay, we like what we have here as an early enrollee. And then Dylan Gibbons clearly would be the fourth guy in that group. That's just fine. That's that's fine. You need numbers on the offensive line. Um, But I don't think scout team player of the year – for Dylan Gibbons is, is really indicative of like, ooh, has he jumped Josh Lug and Aaron Banks? That's Tim, why don't you read some of the past winners of this award? Offensive scout team player of the year. The defense, as Pete mentioned, has a couple guys you could be 
Yeah, maybe not. Offensive scout <laughs> team player of the year begins with Brian Kelly. Or of course, Cameron Roberson won it first. He never got to play with injuries. Uh, Everett Golson, which is easily going to be the best. Nick Fitzpatrick, walk-on. Torrey Hunter Jr., which was a portent. He was a guy that they were glad to see come on because he had been hurt. Tyler Plants, walk-on. Tristan Hodge, transfer. Ben Sutman, walk-on. And now Dylan Gibbons, so not much there. Defensive scout team, Kendall Moore. <clears throat> um... Senior Brandon Newman, who had the greatest line in the history of the Echoes. I'd like to thank the offensive line for pushing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous for a senior winner. By the way, he was emo- on Twitter, he was emotionally torn up about the Notre Dame Ball State basketball game last week. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's a funny kid. Uh, Tyler Stockton, Joe Romano, walk-on. Austin Larkin, walk-on. Asmar Bilal and Jonathan Jones. So they are trending more towards guys that are helping. Uh, I would have thought maybe, you know... One reason he won it, there aren't many options on offense that didn't play. thought maybe Jafar Armstrong would be a guy that could have won it. So maybe it does speak to at least Gibbons improving over the course. Davis. Or Avery Davis. Um, yeah, improving. it's like you don't really know, okay, where was Josh Lug during the year? Was he actually on the scout team? He was probably Or were they like repping yeah. him as like, we want you to get some second team tackle reps here and there just to see what you got. So um, Sometimes that, it comes from opportunity. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some... With Gilman, I think it is a good sign. Somebody asked me about this on Twitter, about like, okay, the fact that, I think they asked, because Avery Davis didn't win, is that a bad sign for Avery Davis? I'm like, no. But I do think it's a good sign that Gilman won it, because he was somebody, when he showed up, that people around Notre Dame felt like, this guy might be the best safety on the team. And if he was really that good, and he's ineligible to play due to transfer rules, then he he should be doing really good things on the scouts. That's true. ND Hoops fan asks, are you as a staff adjusting your expectations for the remainder of the basketball season? They were never the number five team in the country for real. Uh, They probably weren't the number 10 team in the country. So I think they're... uh, I think they're a top 15. Top 20, top 15 team when they're playing well. They'll be in the top 25 most of the year, I would think. And uh, there's... We'll discuss, obviously, some little holes that that they're working through. But they're... uh, I would think eleven and seven would have been my preseason guess with two of the best players in the ACC. And if I adjusted it all, it's not up. It would have been me going yeah, down to ten and eight because it's a tough conference. And they were picked preseason by the media third. Third, that, and I would not right. Like, no, I, I wouldn't. Like and yeah. the media can't ever get their get a handle on Notre Dame basketball. I, I never would have. I never would have picked them third this year. I Last would, year, I I might have. I but, wouldn't have picked them third this year either. But it's, you know, they're always. They always find a way to get that double buy in the top four, or most of the time, find a way to get the double buy. Like most of the time in the Big East, they had the one bad year in the ACC, and since then they've soared to the double buy. So you know, I they, wouldn't think this year, but uh, ten and eight's the worst you would predict, right? In conference. Yeah, I would. You said eleven and seven. I would. I would say twelve and six would be the 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 highest or the best record I would pick. You know, when T.J. Gibbs plays well, they've got a great chance. He played great against Delaware. They got hot shooting against Delaware Saturday. uh, And I thought played really exceptional defense for a large portion of the night. But against Ball State, they got a a rebound to what was it? It was 42 to 26. 42 to 26, which should never happen. Um, You know, offensive rebounds, it was 13 to 4. They they just got outplayed. And you... You know, you, you at home you think, okay, they're going to press the button now and now they're going to win. But there were, I don't think you and I ever felt like that at any point in that game because Ball State, who I think is going to be a pretty good basketball team, they've played Oklahoma, Oregon, Dayton, I think somebody else really good. 
They just beat undefeated Valpo. Valpo's a very good mid-major. They just beat him in Muncie yeah. on a last-second shot by the same by player. By the same guy that beat, Parsons. that beat Notre Dame. But, you know, I mean, they're just, they're just, I wrote a story last week. They're just not, they're not a finished product, and Bray knows that, and the leadership of the team knew that coming out of Maui. I think they all understood the top five was too high. Um, but there's some problems. I mean, they don't have a lot of scoring power off the bench. It needs to be DJ Harvey, but he's gone through a little freshman-itis here recently. He played better against Delaware. They just don't have all the answers right now. I think their starting lineup is pretty darn good, especially with Martin Gebbin. I mean, Martin Gebbin's for real. He's done it for basically 10 games now. He's for real, but they need some more bench help. I felt like they were a 5 or a 6 seed when the season started. There's not really nothing that would move me off of that opinion. In the right in the NCAA in, in tournament, the NCAA oh, tournament. Okay. I don't see them as a top four. No, seed. absolutely. No, they don't, absolutely they don't have not. them. At, it's like they just maybe in the ACC, but not they don't have the pieces um, to be that the material to to do that. Um, and I think that one of the issues that Notre Dame is going to run into is what I saw at Michigan State is they really only have like six and a half guys, right? And that that's okay sometimes in. November when you're playing in Maui, oh, man. When you're playing it's the ACC season. tournament in March, yeah. and you and if you don't find a seventh and an eighth guy, I if you had Matt uh, Ryan, if you had Matt Ryan as your sixth man, or you had him as a starter, and you had Fluger coming off the bench. Now Fluger's not a scorer per se. He scored ten points in a seven minute span to start the second half against Delaware. He'll get hot every now and then, but he's not a quality shooter. And he's not a scorer per se. He's a defender. He's he can rebound. He does a lot of the dirty work and the things that they need. But if you had Ryan, and Ryan was a malcontent, so it just didn't work out. But it would be seven and a half players because he would be a yeah. shooter. He would be a guy that you know. I was really surprised that Matt Farrell. He he was zero for eight against St. Francis Brooklyn from three point, and then he started out slowly against Ball State, and then he refused to shoot. He can't do that. They can't afford for him to shy away from his shot without Matt Ryan being a guy on your team. I feel like the 6.5 <laughs> comment and the starting lineup, you're saying it's a good starting lineup. It is, but I feel like for the first time in a long time, throughout that one bad year where Grant was academically ineligible, I feel like for the first time in a long time, they are a scoring punch in some manner short in the starting lineup. Unless Gibbs has a good game. But that's not always going to happen because Fluger is a good player that is not a good scorer. He will not be a consistent scorer. He's going to have a couple and games. And Gibbs is, I think Gibbs will be up and down. Yeah. I think and he'll I, and, go through that lot. And Gabin is not a consistent scorer. He's a guy that hits free throws, gets rebounds, and can hit a jump hook once eight to in a ten, while. Eight to ten points. So you're nine. a little short on your points. Yeah. And that's not something you think of with Notre Dame, the points being short. There's yeah, always enough points. They're hoping score. that <clears throat> they're hoping that Mooney can give him a little something, but his shot, you know, he... he if he only plays seven minutes, he gets one or two shots. Right, that doesn't work. I, I don't. I don't know that his shot is pure. It's not. And then the other guys just aren't scores. I would like to see Mooney get minutes the rest of the way in December, so that they can see if they can pull that off for. Because the Georgia Tech game in the opener of ACC ball on December thirtieth in South Bend, you should have a confident John Mooney be able to play ten minutes in a game, right? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I guess. This, to me, feels like a season where they're going to hit the skids at some point in February, January, February. And Bray's going to yeah. have to be like, all right, I need to like reinvent, shuffle, like yeah, they, reinvent yeah. a little bit. Like, But he's really good at that. The issue with 
reinvention is that something will have to have gone wrong to force the reinvention. I think that'll be good for Notre Dame in the long haul, but I just, if they finish 500 in ACC play, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, if, if they get on a three-game skid at some yeah. point, and then they're like, you know what? We just got to force-feed Mooney a little bit and get him 15 minutes a game, and then maybe th- maybe they'll be a better team in March than they were in February. Yeah. That's, But that to me, that's the only way I see them sort of overachieving at the end. Here's how sure that skid is. Last year, with that really good team in the regular season, four-game losing streak and lost four out of five during ACC play at one point. It's just an inevitable thing. It's yeah, forget this, they had a it's losing definitely streak. inevitable with this team. I, you know, I agree with what you're saying, Pete. I mean, I, if they finished 500, I don't think it would be a shock. I don't, I don't know that it would be, you know, poor coaching on Bray's part. They're a piece or a piece and a half to two pieces short of what they need to be. They're just not as complete of a team as they were the last three years. So he'll make the best of it. You know, after Ball State, somebody got somebody on our message board said NIT. I wouldn't go that far that quickly. And I, you know, I, I'd like a piece of that action. You know, if you want to bet against yeah. Mike Bray making the NCAA tournament, I get it because I because it, they got hammered by Michigan State and didn't respond well at home against Ball State. But I don't think I'd go that far at this point. CMU Penns fan. Other than Brandon Wimbush, what is the one area of focus you would like to see the most improvement from in the bowl practice season? I thought at the end of the year they were no longer a confident short yardage team, which is what they were all season long. I know that Brian Kelly kind of balked at my question post-game of Stanford, but when you get stopped every time on second, third, and short, it's not something to balk at. Uh, other side of the ball, I'd like to see the, a rejuvenated Sean Crawford and see if if Watkins really just suffers from tendonitis once in a while as opposed to became a player that regressed. You know, I'd like, well, I mean, I think Notre Dame needs to be better. And and we were talking about this earlier. I think next year, if those key components come back, that, that we're not sure whether they're coming back, I'd like to see them be better against the run. And that's going to be necessary against this particular opponent because uh, uh, Darius Geis is going to play in the game. I don't know if there was any real question about that for LSU, but he is going to play. And I think... Notre Dame needs to be better against the run in order to win this game against LSU. I would like to see something from Dalen Hayes again. His play, I thought, really dropped off at the end of the season. Uh, I think on top of that, Alizé Mack would be the same. You know, yeah, and, that's a good call. And really, it just it doesn't even need to be Mack. I mean, if if Cole Komet has five catches for thirty yards in the bowl game, which is not going to happen, but I'm just saying, if if he's the guy. That, you're like, oh, yeah, that's sort of, this. we saw some of that in August. That would be significant. And then, you know, to cap it all off, three tackles for loss from Jerry Tillery. That would get the job right <laughs> So that's a selfish yeah. side of the year mm-hmm. right there. But. ND2 victory. What's the probability of an all-newcomer starting safety lineup at any point next year, irrespective of injuries? Possibilities that two of Derek Allen, Alohi Gilman, and Houston Griffith could all potentially end up starting back there? Uh, when you put in at any point next year, I would make it high to very high. Um, it it won't shock me if Jordan Genmar Keith and Olivia Gilman are your starting safeties against Michigan next year. Nor would it shock me if Derek Allen started a game um, later on later on in the year. You know, Houston Griffith. We if, do if, think if they we, land him, which I think yeah, that they will, they will yeah. um, could be a factor somewhere, but. I I think it's very, very good because by the end of the year, 
it it was obvious, I think, to everyone that they just did not have it at the back end of the defense. And it was something that I thought Mike Elko did a pretty masterful job masking for 12 games. Yeah, he really did. And, you know, Isaiah Robertson has not picked up the defense like expected. I'm not sure what they're going to do with him, whether he moves up closer to the line of scrimmage. Well, if Gemar Keith doesn't, then there's another if candidate. If Gemar Keith doesn't, then that was so. a, that he would be, yeah. I would think he'd be a candidate for Rover. I don't know if that fits or the difficulty of that, but he apparently has not picked things up very well at safety. So would we all be in agreement that very unlikely Michigan includes Jalen Elliott starting, but you would bet a significant, not a significant amount of money, you'd bet that Nick Coleman probably retains it early before yeah. he, t- yeah, I think that's I the way I look at it. That Nick Cullen will keep it, and then he has to. He will earn it, and then he has to keep it. Yeah, I think there's going to be real competition there all year. Uh, Let me ask it. Yeah, go for it. Nd o two five eight seven six five four three. No, where does Nd stand with defensive recruiting? Are we alive with anybody but Langham? Is Langham and Nd lean? Or a Bama lean at this point? Uh, so Malik Langham visited last weekend Alabama prospect, defensive end, more of a, maybe a strong side type, uh, really long arms on campus with the Adamolo twins and Jamie and Franklin. Um, so it's, even though he's sort of a late comer to the scene for Notre Dame, they were able to get him around guys he'd be on the, the squad with, which is important. You see if you fit in or not. Um, I would never, ever, ever, ever bet against Alabama. <laughs> with a kid from Alabama that Nick Saban has already gone in home with. So until then, uh, I'm going to go with Alabama here. But he's like he would be a really nice capper to that position because I think they're in a position now where um, they need some help at defensive end in this class. They've done a really nice job at defensive tackle, but um, I think they're a defensive end short. Malik Langham could be that guy. Um, it's my understanding that he grew up a – Auburn fan, and that they, the, an offer from them, which has not come yet, would be significant too. I think one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen ranking-wise is Malik La- uh, Langham as the 740th best player in the country. Uh, that He's he's definitely a top 300, um, and he's definitely a four-star. I think he's closer to a five-star than he is a three-star. That's just my opinion. I know Notre Dame loves him like that as well. He's from Huntsville, Huntsville, Alabama, and he could very... Alabama offered him. I mean, what else do you need? (laughs) He can't be the 740th best player in the country. It's ridiculous. He's incredibly skilled. He is a strong side defensive end, and I would love to see him in a Notre Dame uniform. Yeah, well, composite, he's 740. If you're just looking at 24-7 sports, he's 976. (laughs) I All right, too. Uh, Coach CFT, this is somewhat related, which is more likely 2018. Two St. Browns playing for Indy or zero St. Browns playing for Indy? I would really go with zero. I think zero is the more likely. I don't think they're going to get Amon Ross St. Brown. I just think there's, with his quarterback going to USC, uh, JT Daniels, uh, there and what happened with Brandon Wimbush in the passing game, you, you'd be, you'd have, yeah, you'd have to make. The jump to Notre Dame based on the assumption that that would get a lot better right away, and I I don't think that he's going to be willing to do that. I think that. it's a really interesting, fun question. <laughs> it is a good question, and I agree with Pete. I think it's more likely zero, but the answer is one. Equinemi St. Brown probably the most likely is one. Yes, Just but then clear. if I had to choose yeah. between zero and two, I'd right. pick zero. <laughs> it would be shocking 
it, what not, I guess you could, people make bad decisions, but what's Equinemius St. Brown going to the draft for? Well, but I mean, his father, that's what his father would prefer that he do. Now his father says that he will leave that decision up to him. That would be a, that would be a mistake. There's a lot of guys better than Equinemius St. Brown's level of developed talent right now. There's no doubt. Ready to catch passes between the age of 21 and 35. I mean, the NFL would look would look at his body of work and say, is he tough enough to play in the NFL? Well, when you start asking that question, you're not going to get drafted. You're not going to have a successful career. SF Castillo, does Notre Dame need a new quarterback coach with extensive experience working with multiple different quarterbacks to help Brandon Wilmush get out of his funk? Does Tom Clements make any sense in that regard? He also could mentor Tom Reese. Even hire him as an analyst, question mark? Hire Tom Clements as an analyst? I don't know. Take this question where you would like. (laughs) So Tom Clements can make like $22,000 a year at Notre Dame? I, I mean, Tom Clements isn't coming to Notre Dame. But I get the question, and I and I really think that, you know, I really think that Brian Kelly has always, to a large extent, been the quarterback coach. Chip Long is the offensive coordinator. I realize that he coaches tight ends, but, you know, Tom Reese is not why Brandon Wimbush can't pick up the offense. It's not why Brand, uh, he's not why Brandon Wimbush can't read defenses. I don't think that's Tom Reese's fault. Would Norden be better off with a vastly experienced quarterback coach? Sure. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think fully expect Tom Reese to remain Notre Dame's quarterback coach. So do you think an analyst will be hired in the offseason in that realm anyway? Well, that's... That's I probably mean, the best yeah, thing to pull from the right. question. And I, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, from that perspective, that would probably be a good idea, yeah. Uh, I don't argue against <laughs> this. I mean, if like, if Tom Clements is like, yeah, you know what, it'd be kind of cool to work at my alma mater. I've had a 20-year... Run coaching NFL quarterbacks. I worked with Aaron Rodgers. I was the assistant head coach of the freaking Green Bay Packers. And now I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to essentially be a volunteer coach to be at Notre Dame just to be at Notre Dame. Great. But that seems. Yeah, and when he he left Notre Dame, he went, you know, it it wasn't under great circumstances. The whole Joe Moore thing, he was bitter about that. So I don't don't know that Tom Clemens. He was the guy they didn't hire when they hired Charlie Weiss. Right, as head coach. So I don't think Clemens is coming back. But. You know, I, as far as even higher an analyst, yeah, I think that's a that's a good probably suggestion. will be something they look down. Yeah, down on that path. I will say, like this was a question that got brought up on the board by somebody, and I, I just I think people need to realize Brandon Wimbush getting right has a lot more to do with Brandon Wimbush than who's coaching yeah. him. Yes, um, I totally agree with you. So unless it has more it, to do it, with Doctor Selking than it does Tom Reese. Just yeah, I think Wimbush's issues are more mental than physical. Because it's not like in practice, Tom Reese is like, hey, you want to play video games? Like, they're working on stuff, and it's just like, what the stuff that they do in practice is not translating to the games. If what he did in games was what they were doing in practice, he wouldn't be playing in the games. They wouldn't be running those plays. Because they they're not going to ask him to throw the ball at Kevin Stefferson's foot. Right. Intentionally. <laughs> so he's not struggling because of Tom Reese. Right. That's what I would say. You know, so it's he needs to get to a better place mentally. Can a quarterback coach help him get there? Yes. But most importantly, he needs to help himself get there. SR 54-52. Elko and Long did really good in year one. What are you guys expecting in year two from both? How much progress can or will be made? We talked a little bit about Elko and how we think the defense will be that much better I next do. year. Just from knowing their defense better and having a veteran group, 
I think there's an entire section of the playbook that Chip Long hasn't fully explored, specifically RPOs. Sections. Yeah, yeah section, yeah, which, which is not, which isn't, you know, when, when the complaints are made about play calling, you know, we talked about this before. I mean, what are you, what are you going to call when your quarterback can't execute it? Um, so should they play another quarterback? Well, that might happen next year. Yeah, I, I think Elko will sort of be more of the same, which is fine because the defense was, was good this year. Maybe it can be a little bit better. Um, I think the biggest room for improvement by far is with Long and the offense because I think the offense developed in some ways that the coaching staff didn't really expect this year for good and bad. Um, I thought they'd be able to run the ball with authority, they did. 250 yards a game is what... They finished third nationally in yards per carry. That's a ridiculous stat. And the passing game was the complete opposite of that. I think that was a shock to everyone at Notre Dame that, what, what happened? Like, this doesn't... It wasn't supposed to look like this. So, the RPOs, um, just basic stuff uh, in the passing game. Like, the next step for them to be a, a multiple offense is just to be efficient in the passing game they don't need to be dynamic or lethal just do the basic stuff well and when that happens i think the complaints that people have about the running game it's a or november will go away because suddenly there's one less defender there uh running around tackling josh adams or wherever the running back is so just be able to get a defense to back off when they crowd the box would be a nice step and there are like eight or nine steps after that they could still take i can't completely Get away from the fact that they lost Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey from the left side of the offensive line. Because I don't know if you run the ball as well. <laughs> no, I those guys. So. Uh, no, you won't. You won't. But you're right that if you run the ball well, just that word, run the ball well, and Brandon Wimbush improves, then you can have a more effective offense. You don't need to score as many touchdowns because they're not going to have so many seven touchdown games next year. Just looking at the slate, you're not going to come out and put seven touchdowns up four times, right? At least that's... But you also don't have to get totally manhandled no, because up I, front in important right. games. And I, you know, clearly, games. clearly they can't be better than they were this year with McGlinchey and Nelson. But you can put out an offensive line of Josh Lugg, Alex Barr, Sam Mustafer, Tommy Kramer, and Robert Hainsey, and that's the makings of a... A pretty darn good, solid offensive line. Yeah, for an offense, the whole is more important than the sum of its parts because two parts are going to be much worse. But the yep. one part holding the ball the whole time might be better. Yeah. No, it's. I, I think that they have the ability on the offensive line to be good next year, maybe very good. I don't think that I'm going to be pulling out video <laughs> clips on Twitter of um, Josh Lug and posting them about... You know, it's like, look at him just throw this guy into the stands the way that McGlinchey and Nelson did sometimes. And that's okay. Um, you don't need to have two first-team AP All-Americans, which they were announced during our podcast, at all times. Other teams lose good players, too. Maybe you'll be pulling out clips of Lug in 2020. Could be, yeah. I mean, it's, I think they have a lot of material in, uh, you know, Hainsey and Lug in particular. Kramer, I'm just really interested to see what it looks like as a guard, if that's what they do. Um, I, I, I'm looking forward to that, yeah. because I think he's going to yeah. be a better guard than he is a right tackle. But I think the most important part about the offense, which will expand things with Lung, is your quarterback being able to consistently throw a stay route or hit a 10-yard slant. Um, just the, the basic type stuff. Uh, and when that happens, then this offense is going to be a real pain in the ass to deal with, especially when it's St. Brown, Stefferson, and Claypool 
all yeah. going into their I mean, junior slash senior years. We we talk about the passing game not developing, but the receiving core did, or we feel like it's going to be. It's, it's a it developed into a solid re- receiving core that can be even better next year. If we're here in August and Pete says I don't have faith in the wide receivers like this year, like this year, then I think there's a bad. problem. I, yeah. I I think you should have faith in the wide receivers when you're in the middle of August camp. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they will moving forward. So that's a wrap for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider. We will be back next Monday. I think we're going to have some access to either players or Brian Kelly next weekend. Uh, We'll see about that as Notre Dame ramps up bowl practices for the Citrus Bowl. So until next Monday, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening.